Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, let's pray. Gracious God, we are honored that we get a chance to worship you in spirit and in truth. We're honored, Father, that even today, we are seeing miracles. People go from death to life. We pray, Heavenly Father, that during this time, we'd have a blessing on this moment, a blessing on this congregation, a blessing on those who want to know you more. And as the word goes forth, we pray for life change, transformation, The miraculous work of Jesus still goes on today because his promises are still yes and amen. He is still good. He is still raising people from death to life. It's with that trust and that promise that we come today knowing that you want to move people closer to you. So God, we say, move us closer. Whether we are confident in our relationship with you or not, we pray that we'd be closer today. We ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen? Amen. Well, we have been in the book of Romans, and as we've been going through that book, we've had a great opportunity to see Paul begin to argue that you must be justified by faith in order to have a righteousness that is satisfying to God You must be declared righteous by God. And the only way that can happen is if you trust in the Son for his death, for your life, meaning you must be declared righteous. He's arguing that through the first four chapters. And as he argues that, he uses the example of Abraham. And he's going to say, Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that's what Uh, Pastor Rasul went over last week. And so through the first four chapters, uh, Paul's been arguing like a lawyer, building up his case. But now what he wants to do is he wants to go from argumentation to adoration. He wants you to understand what you believe, but he also wants you to get to the place where you personalize it, where it becomes real to you where you own it, where it's yours. The truth is that if you read about Jesus, read about his death, understand the resurrection, if you understand all those truths, they're only facts. And facts aren't enough. Because you know facts every day, and it does not trump your feelings. We make feeling-based decisions every day, even though we know the facts. You know you shouldn't have ate that. But you felt like it, didn't you? There were people that you know good and well you shouldn't have dated. You knew. You, sw- you, saw, their- you saw who they were. They were no good, but you just felt. He's like, I, just- I have a piece about it. That feeling is a lie. <laughs> You've made 
critical decisions based in emotion, and you regretted it even before you made the decision. And we do that all the time. Why? Because feelings will always outweigh facts. Much of our political discussion right now is people trying to barter facts from one another, but people have already made their decisions. A psychologist brought a room filled with women in it. And the psychologist was trying to convince women that caffeine has the great possibility of causing a cyst in their breast. The facts were powerful. And all the women in the room were convinced there's something to this. But there was only one group in that room that wasn't convinced. Guess who? The women that drank coffee. <laughs> they said, I need to see a second. I need, uh, who, who did this research? Because it's not just about facts when you have deep feelings. And so what has to happen and what researchers found is that when you have a fact that you've personally reflected on, in other words, you've personalized it, that's the only way it will move you into not only contemplation, but also transformation. And so what we have to realize what Paul is trying to get you to understand is that I've been arguing these facts, but you've got to personalize these facts and you've got to make them promises. You see, because a fact is Jesus Christ died, but a promise is that he died for you. And when this is a book of facts, it won't change your life. But when it's promises, you can stand on them. And your whole life can be standing on the promises of God. Because promises got a chance against feelings. Promises will trump your heart deep at night. When you feel lonely, you hear this promise, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You see, that's a promise. And this morning, my prayer for you is that you would hear the promise of God reaching to you, not just words on a page, but intimacy. Connection. My prayer for you is that you would read the Word of God. So many people say, I don't like to read the Bible because it's just, you know, I don't like reading. These are the same people that read two-page-long text messages from friends. You know the, when the text has it where you got to go, like, you got to press it for the whole scroll that they, and you're like, oh, my God, and then, right? And the only, well, the, like, the Bible is a text, and the only difference between reading the Bible and reading a text is you don't understand the personal nature of the text you receive from heaven. It's a personal message. And so I, I don't want you to hear about facts today. I want, to hear, I want you to hear about the personal revelation from God. Amen? So in, in um, Romans chapter 5, Paul is trying to get you to personalize and understand the word of God. He says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it reads this way. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, he's saying this in the past tense because that's what they've been arguing, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's important to understand that when Paul is talking about peace with God, he is actually not yet talking about our feelings. He is talking about the new reality we have when we come into a relationship with God. He's talking about not a peace that you feel, but a peace that you live in. In other words, if you are not living a life submitted to God, the Bible says you are hostile with God. Now, you would think, well, for those of us that may not have a relationship with God, you may think to yourself, well, I don't, I don't get angry feelings about God. But you see, you're either moving in harmony with God or you're moving in hostility with God. Because when you choose not to do what God is calling you to do and live the way according to his word and live your life where you've submitted it to the son, then you are moving opposite. You are moving in hostility and in rebellion to God. Oftentimes, when I'm talking to people who want a relationship with God, they will say they have a relationship with God, but when you look at the full weight of their life, when you look at their, the whole circumference of their life, they actually have what you would call a selective relationship with God. Selective in that, this. They love what the Bible says about love, but they don't submit their life to what the Bible says about relationships. So they select certain parts like they're at Golden Corral for what they want from God. So I'll take what you say about love, but you can keep what you say about my relationships, right? And the reality is, if you want peace with God, you can't have a selective relationship. You must have a surrendered relationship. And surrendered relationships work like this. What do you say about my finances, God? What do you say about my relationship? What do you say about my attitude? What do you say about my life? A surrendered relationship is a life where we are following God. Now, you must understand that the essence of this text, if it says we are now at peace with God, if you have not submitted your life to Christ, you right now should not be focusing on the promises of God. You must focus on the fact that there is a problem with God. And the problem with him is that he wants you to follow. He wants you to live a life unto him. And you will never be fully satisfied in your life until you're living a life fully submitted to him. You see, the imprints of the designer are on our lives. The imprints of the creator are on our lives. That's why when you do things you feel you should not do, there is guilt, shame, and insecurity followed behind it. There is regret followed behind it. And the regret is there because there's an echo in your soul knowing there's another way to live. And when the Bible says you have peace with God, you do not have to live insecure with your relationship with God anymore. You move from problems with God to peace with God. Amen? And so he sets this tone by acknowledging that the, the means by which we came into a relationship with God was surrender, was by letting go, was by following. Then he says in verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which 
we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The image that he gives when he says we've obtained this access is like going through this door called faith. And when you trust in him, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for your sin, that is faith, and you now have access to God. And this access now creates this space that you live in where you have grace. And the grace of God is, the imagery he has is you stand now in grace. A new position you have, a new room you're in, the new access you have, grace. The word in Greek here for grace is a different kind of word, not just unmerited favor, but it's talking about favor like from a father. Perpetual, continual favor with God. The Bible says of our father that he sings over us. I love my kids. I ain't never sang to them like that. (laughs) The Bible says in Psalm 139 that he writes every one of our names in a journal. All of our days. A father who is for you. A father who loves you. You stand now in access to a grace-based relationship with God our Father. He says, in light of that, we rejoice in hope. The hope that we have is that everything that has been broken in this world one day will be restored. Every relationship that you have felt the heartache from, one day, if not restored on earth, one day will be restored in heaven. That the pains that you feel, the problems that you have, the cracks in our soul, will one day be in a space of healing. The hope we have of glory is knowing that one day he will wipe away every tear. The resurrection convinces us that the worst moment we could have ever imagined, Christ dying on the cross, there, bloody, trying to breathe. Only a few days later, he rose with all power. The resurrection is therefore our conviction of knowing anything can work out. We then have this grace we stand in and this hope we have. And as Pastor Josh said, there is no dead situation. There is nothing that I have to do to presume that circumstances indicate how things will work out. If Christ rose from the dead, then jobs can transform. If Christ rose from the dead, then the broken-hearted couple that doesn't think they can get it together can come back together. If Christ rose from the dead, then you can be the father you thought you never could be. If Christ rose from the dead, all things are possible if he rose from the dead. That's what the hope of glory is. It is hope based in the resurrection. It is standing in the grace of God, knowing I have a father who loves me, the creator of heaven and earth. And so he says, in light of this, we rejoice in that. 
It is a promise to us. He says in verse 3 through 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that, watch this, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Oh, that's good news, y'all. That's an encouragement to the heart this morning. Friends, that's not a fact. That's a promise. And look what he says. You can rejoice in our sufferings. So here's what we have to conclude. The promise of God is not a pain-free life. Go home. Amen? Just go home right there. It is not a pain-free life. In fact... If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I hate to tell you this. Make sure you accept the terms and conditions if you come down here today. Because this is a Calvary Road, saints. I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is, in fact, you can expect pain. Here's why. Because as believers, we are people who love. And you cannot experience love without suffering. And if you want a pain-free life, then you'll have a love-free life. Because if you are going to love people, then you'll have to endure. You'll have to have character. You'll have to have God's love poured into your hearts. What he speaks of here is the kind of love that goes through our souls in the midst of affliction. And ultimately, what he's trying to get at is not the idea that when I begin to suffer, I begin to feel good about suffering. What he's saying is, I rejoice in the outcome of suffering. I rejoice in the end product. In other words, you say through your tears, I know all things work together for the, for God, for the glory of God. I know, God. That's my promise. I'm reading this right now. It's my, you say it through your tears. You worship and you lift up your hands. You say, I believe. I believe in miracles. You say it through tears. It's not that you're happy, but it's, it's you rejoicing in the future hope of what he's going to do with your pain. Ultimately, what God does is he redeems pain. My kids went to Dave and Buster's the other day. Praise God for Dave and Buster's. And, you know, you give them your money and you get these coins and then you try the games and you get all these tickets. And I told my kids, don't bring no tickets home. I can't do nothing with them tickets, Okay. But if you redeem those tickets, you'll get something from it, right? If you redeem, if you go back, you, they came home with these balls and balloons and toys and stuffed dolls because all that they went through, they got something from it, but you had to redeem it. And what he's saying, he's not saying you'll go through pain and get something. He's saying what you'll go through is when you redeem that pain. And redeem pain has an outcome of patience and endurance it's redeemed pain, not just pain. That, that, what I want to tell you is because a lot of people go through things, but they don't come back to God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
once they're going. In fact, they get distant from God. And so you don't learn what he's trying to teach because you didn't go through the process. My kids one time left out food. Now raw food, I mean raw meat, praise God, trying to kill us. They're like, well, I just left it out. But you're trying to kill our family. You're just going to leave meat out? You're going to kill us. But see, if you, if you now, now, leave it out for a little bit, then my wife, she's going to get it. She's going to cook it. She's going to put some stuff on it. You know what I'm saying? She's going to cook it up. Then she's going to serve it. And part of our problem is that we have pain and we don't do anything. We have raw pain inside of us. And raw pain, not given to Chef Jesus, will destroy you. You're just going to leave it out? You're just, you're just mad? You're just mad? You're just going to be mad? And, and, and listen, you then, your, your words, that's why your words are so toxic. It, because you, you're, you've never redeemed that memory. You've never redeemed that situation. So you don't get anything from it. If anything, you've got a soul that's corrosive. But if you would just give it to Jesus, let him redeem it. He'll trade you that moment for patience. He'll trade you that moment for endurance. Give, give me it. That's what he's saying. Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. But you got to let him redeem the pain, or you're just going to sit with pain, and sitting with pain only makes you cynical. It makes you an angry person. But you got to understand that any meal that's going to be good, it's going to take some time. So if you want a quick prayer, the redemption process doesn't happen that quick. There are long nights, long weeks, in an empty room, tear-filled. Just let Chef Jesus, just let him work on it. And he'll change you, amen? So these must be seen not just as facts, but promises. So he says, endurance and hope. And I love the imagery there in 5 5, Romans 5 5. He says, God's love, look at this, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I love that imagery of the Spirit of God being poured in. This imagery is meant to make us think of something lavish, something wonderful, that, that God is dispensing this to us so that we are overflowing with love to offer people as we redeem our pain. The broken spaces in your life are actually meant to make you look more glorious. The broken memories, the tragic moments are actually intended to make you look more glorious, more beautiful, more presentable. In uh, Japanese art, 
there is this idea they have. An artist took a pottery, and they took plates, and they had all these broken plates and pottery, and they decided to, instead of throwing out that which was broken, they decided to mend together broken pieces. But what they would do is they would mend it together with gold. This practice is called kintsugi. And kintsugi basically is two words, golden kin, sugi, repair. Golden repair. And it's when you take all these broken pieces and you have gold keeping them together. And what their thought is, is that what if we took all these broken pieces, put gold in them, and made them more presentable? It would make it more beautiful. It would make it something more glorious than just pieces sitting around. And the imagery that Paul the Apostle gives us is that when you give your life to Christ, when you come back to the potter, as we are the clay. He pieces back together those very broken spaces, and he has poured into our life through the Holy Spirit this binding power so that we would be more presentable, more glorious, and more wonderful. My fear, whenever I counsel people, is... Will you allow God to just work on you? You just let him work on you. Because there are so many fears, so many pains, so much doubt. He's trying to move out of you. And you can't see you like you think you can see you. You see you in the season you're in. And you really think you know you. But what if you don't know you like your creator knows you? What if God is taking everything, all experiences, all pain, shame, and doubt, and he is binding this together in this beautiful golden repair so that you would be more glorious? My wife can proudly say, that I am not the man I was 2003. It's 2022. 19 years together. But marriage is hard when people don't change. It really is. It's hard. When people have just become stagnant, cynical. But what transforms relationships is when you continually allow Jesus, to simply work on you, to make you more glorious. That's his end game. That in the Bible in Ephesians, it talks about how the church would be presented with splendor and glory. He's wanting you to look more glorious, more splendid, more beautiful, more kind, more loving. So he is changing you and transforming you. These promises are given to us, and they, are, they have their greatest function and when we trust in him. 
And so what Paul does is he creates a moment of reflection. He says in Romans 5, 6 through 8, he says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What Paul was doing there was he was taking a moment to get you to understand how incredible salvation is so that you would personalize salvation to yourself. Because he says, you know some good people in your life. You have no plans of dying for them. But maybe, just maybe, you might jump in front of a bus for someone you saw, you know, that was a really nice, like, you know, that girl, she's really nice. I'm going to jump in front of a bus for this person. You, maybe, praise God, maybe. But if you had an enemy, listen to me. If you had an enemy, and I know y'all love the Lord. If you had an enemy, listen, if you had an enemy, you would just walk a little bit slower in front of that bus. Amen? In other words, you are moved sometimes to compassion for a good person. But when you see an enemy get hurt, you say they got what they deserve. And he's saying, you will not understand the promises of God until you understand that you've had hostility with God, that you were not a good person, that God said, man, I need to help them out. You were an enemy. And he says, while we were sinners, while we were sinners, this then clarifies that today, if you hear the sound of my voice, he is not waiting for you to clean your life up. He is not waiting for you to become a good person. He is not waiting for you to become more righteous. He is not waiting for you to become more kind. He says, I'll make you more kind. I'll make you righteous. I am not waiting on you. I will die for you while you are an enemy while you are far from me, Christ dies for sinners. And that's such good news. Because when I came to Christ, boy, I was sinning some good sin, boy. Whew. I'm accustomed to being in a club, amen? I, I was a good sinner, boy. I wasn't thinking about God. It was sin everywhere. Sin was on the radio. It was, it was nothing but sin. Sin was in my hand. Sin was in my pocket. Sin was, sin was all in my life. And he interrupted my life. He intervened. And he broke in. While someone was trying to move away from him, he moved towards us. So the only way that this becomes real to you is when you see that I'm the one you move towards, God. 
you move towards me. And these promises are for me. And they're real to me. I wonder if you'd stand with me. This morning, as you hear the sound of my voice, I know that we've talked about the promises of God. I know we've talked about the beauty of his word. But today, I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm not talking about biblical insight. I'm talking about trust. Trusting in Jesus Christ for your sins so that you would follow him the rest of your life. I'm also saying that some of you have gotten off the beaten path and you have not been following God. Though you might have grown up in church, though you've had a church experience, Christ has not been your leader. For those of you today that you say today, I want to make today the day that I accept Christ in my life for my sins. I want to trust him by faith today. Would you just lift up your hand? For those that want to accept Christ, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. If we could just make some room right here, right here. For those that lift up your hand, just come on to the front. Just come on to the front. Just come on to the front. If you lifted up your hand, come on. You want, you want today to be the day that you accept Christ in your life. For those that have trusted in God, and then there are those who today you've said, I want to rededicate my life. And maybe you lifted up your hand and you really want to rededicate. You want to get back on the path. You're not saying, I wasn't saved, but I do need to rededicate my life. Just lift up your hand. If today is the day you want to rededicate your life to Christ, lift up your hand and just let us know today that you want to walk with Christ. If there are any here today, just come before us. Just let us know for real today, this is your day. There were several who have lifted up your hands. You might not have moved forward, but I want to pray for you because I want you to know that today is not about showing us your faith. It is about showing Christ your faith. Amen. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we pray, Heavenly Father, that you and only you, you would change us and move us. Oh God, I pray that no one would walk out of this place unsure of their walk with God, unsure of their faith in Christ. I say, is there one today? Is there one today? Is there one? Is there one? That you are unsure of your walk with God, unsure of your faith. If you are, come today. Well, Father, we just love you. We present you to a glorious world. And we ask that we would know you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Listen, listen. There are, there are so many friends that you have that right now, they want a relationship with God, but they are in fear because of shame and doubt. And today I commission you in the mighty name of Jesus to go share the good news because it's for everyone. 
And I pray that you share it in your lives, on your timelines, with your friends, because Easter is coming. And if somebody ain't gonna come to church, guess when they will come to church? Easter. So I want you to think about one right now, just one person that you could be praying for, that they might come to know Jesus and be invited with you into a community of faith. Amen? God bless you. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.